Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restriction supply promotions may vary. G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. Uh, as Dave has just said, let's fucking do this shit. This is, uh, my name's Andrew and I'm joined by Dave. We're going to be discussing, uh, discussing, discussing, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Dr. Carter for a second there. We'll be discussing movies on this podcast, yeah. yes. Uh, we're going to be discussing Alfred Hitchcock's Suspicion. Uh, which is uh, nominated, was nominated for Best Picture alongside uh, Citizen Kane and the triumphant winner, How Green Was My Valley, which won Best Picture. Um, this won uh, the only acting award for a Hitchcock film, uh, which That's was Joan wild. Fontaine. It is wild, isn't it? It is wild. Um, but yeah, Joan Fontaine, Cary Grant are in this uh, thriller, uh, which is quite interesting. You chose this particular film because it is, as you've said, it's your your favorite Hitchcock film. Now, I, I want to lead in this discussion because I think that we have we both have favorite Hitchcock films, and we both have the same best Hitchcock film. Yeah. Can you accentuate and discuss and explore the difference between the two? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, obviously, not obviously, because it's, you know, <laughs> there are many opinions on best Hitchcock movie. And that, this just shows you how phenomenal Hitchcock great was. Director. A, a yeah. Terrible human being, great director. There's a lot of those walking around or being or under the ground, whatever. There's a lot of those directors. So, you know, you can talk about Vertigo. You can talk about Psycho. You can talk about Rear Window. You can talk about Rebecca, which we talked about on this show. I mean, there's a lot of great, great, great choices. For me, it's Vertigo. Um, Some of that may be because it is a movie that many, many, many people like begged and pleaded for me to finally watch. You included. I think you actually paid me to watch this movie. Uh, yeah. through a patreon account so um 
So I have that kind of warm memory of it, right? Yeah. Of like finally watching this movie that so many of my good friends wanted me to watch and then it not disappointing me, right? Yeah. And, it, and it being so surprising because you got Jimmy Stewart in a role that is so unlike Jimmy Stewart that I knew because I knew him from like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and uh, It's a Wonderful Life, like these very wonderful, warm roles. And then this, he's a fucking freak, this guy in Vertigo. And it's also just like amazingly filmed, of course great performances just wonderful fantastic filmmaking and then there's movies that are just really 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 fun right yes. vertigo has fun in it but it's still it's pretty serious stuff right it's it's still like a it's a it's a drama it's but it's like very impactful and powerful and it leaves you really thinking about things as you walk out of walk out of that movie suspicion is you you called it a thriller, which I think is the perfect description of it. It is like, you know, it just kind of goes balls to the wall. It has a really good time. And I think the the two leads here, like, you want to talk about impeccable casting. Like, you can't do any better than this. Because, so... Carrie I mean, Grant's you put Cary Grant in anything and he's, yeah. Well, that's, that's also true. It's hard to go wrong. But I think this really captures what I love about Cary Grant is that... He is, I've talked with one of my other co-hosts, Mike, about this, is the best comparison for him, modern times, is George Clooney, right? Really good dramatically, really good comedically, um, and keeps those keeps those relatively separate, right? And also just very charming, right? You watch someone fall in love with Cary Grant on screen, and I don't care if you're straight, gay, bi, whatever, you're like, yeah, I get it. I can, I, yeah, I, it doesn't matter. I totally get it. Um, so this captures both his dramatic skill and his comedic skill and his charm kind of all wrapped up into one movie. Like Joan Fontaine is great in this. She deserves all the accolades that she got for this. But to me, this really is a Cary Grant movie. Um, he really propels this movie forward. Everything that's going on in this movie is because of his actions. And really, in a lot of ways, and it's one of the few movies I've seen this in, he's a male femme fatale. Like, you're not sure if you can trust him. Like, he's charming, and you're into him, but you're also like, uh, he's doing things that aren't really right. And then he kind of saves it at the end. Like, there's this sequence in the movie where she thinks he's, like, not getting a job, and he's spending all the money. And then he shows her this note, like, nope, see, I was telling him the truth. I was telling your dad the truth. And you're like, and as the audience, you're like, wait, but was he, is this bullshit? Like, did he have this planted or is he telling the truth? I don't know, but he's like so dashing and so attractive that you're kind of like, okay, maybe he's okay. He's just playing a little fast and loose too much. And it's just like a really fun movie. And by the end, I don't think you're totally sure who to believe. And that is a fantastic way to end this movie. Like it's just, it really hammers home the point of this that depending on how you look at things, right? You could look at it like Joan Fontaine's character is not trusting enough, or you could look at it like, yeah, she's too trusting. Like, you really need to get rid of this this man because, like, there are a lot of things going wrong here. And it's a movie that, like, holds up to multiple viewings. Like, I just watch it. Like, honestly, I put this movie on and the titles come up and I just start smiling and I do not stop until the end of the movie. Like, it's just one of those. And this is where favorite comes in, right? I could think of probably five or ten movies that have this impact on me. You mention this movie, and I immediately smile. Like, I don't have to put it yeah. on. I'm just like, yeah, Suspicion. Let's talk about that. It's so great. And it makes me so sad when I talk about Suspicion with people, and they're like, yeah, that's all right, I guess. It's, you know, it's subpar Hitchcock 
you know, and I'm like, oh, but no, it's so fun. And Joan Fontaine is so beautiful and talented and Cary Grant is too. And like, you know, the kind of side characters are entertaining too. I think people forget that Hitchcock, while great at drama and thriller, also really gifted comedic director as well. Oh, very much so, uh, yeah. You looked at something like The Trouble with Harry, really like a laugh out loud funny movie. And to me, this, like it does with Cary Grant, this movie captures everything that Hitchcock does really well, all in one neat little wonderful package. Yeah. I Look, my personal favorite is Shadow of a Doubt, which is, is you know, sparkled with comedy. It is just a, a, a darkly comic film. And in a lot of ways, like, you know, I, I look at these particular films um, as being, you know, kind of neglected Hitchcock films in a lot of ways. Um, the same with Foreign Correspondent, the same with, um, uh, you know, Strangers on a Train or The Lady Vanishes. And these kinds of films are, are wonderful films because, you know, he does mystery, he does thriller so well. He does that that particular narrative just so brilliantly. And yet we uh, so often, you know, talk about Vertigo, we talk about The Birds, we talk about Psycho, we talk about Rear Window, talk about North by Northwest, which is another hilarious film. I, I love that film to bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he has so many, you know, monumental films in his film career that it's just like... It's it's easy to see them towering over the smaller ones. And it is kind of a shame in a way to say that Suspicion does feel like one of the smaller Hitchcock films. Because it and is... Isn't that weird? Isn't that it is weird? weird. Like, I don't know yeah. about you, but when I was going through the list of nominees for this year, I was shocked. Absolutely shocked to see that Suspicion was nominated for an Academy Award. I was like, really? This got nominated for Best Picture? Not in a bad way. It made me very happy. But it is definitely not thought of in the same breath as the movies that I mentioned earlier, the the titans of Hitchcock. It's never mentioned. Uh, and maybe that's kind of a reason I love it, too, is that it's kind of like it's so rare with a director like Hitchcock, who is so well thought of in every aspect of anyone who talks about movies and directors. Um it feels like a little bit of a hidden gem that like people don't usually talk about so much. And like, so it's kind of a fun thing to talk about when people are like, Hey, what's your favorite Hitchcock movie? And they're expecting vertigo, psycho rear window, Rebecca. And you're like, I really like suspicion. Yeah. Or I really like shadow <laughs> of a doubt. It's like, and people are always like very taken back. Like, really tell me why. Whereas if you said my favorite, my favorite Hitchcock movie is Rear Window. They go, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, it's like, it's again, like our last episode, like if you say your favorite movie is Citizen Kane, people kind of roll their eyes and go like, oh, yeah, safe pick. Okay, sure, fine. But like something like Suspicion is like, you know, it's it's also, even though it gets very serious in moments, right? There's a moment where you think he is going to murder this woman and throw her from the car it or throw her off a cliff. It's ter- And those moments are genuinely scary. But most of the movie is really, it's kind of a romp, you know, and it's kind of fun and light. And that is so rare in movies where you talk about like Academy Award nominated best picture films. You don't get that lightness. And it's really a nice change of pace when you watch something like Suspicion. I think I think that's one of the difficulties when it comes to Suspicion, because uh, I had seen this as a kid Um my grandmother, bless her soul, was one of the best kind of people in introducing me to a lot of films uh, in a lot of different ways. She she raised me up on a lot of great cinema, and one of the, the staples that she raised me up on was 
uh, Alfred Hitchcock films. She, you know, uh, one of my earliest memories is standing in front of the TV um, watching the birds, like literally just standing in front of the TV, scared out of my mind watching the birds. And that strikes my mind. And I know I'd seen Suspicion before, but it's been, it's been 30 years since I seen it. You know, I mm-hmm. saw this when I was six, seven years old. Um, I saw a lot of Hitchcock films when I was young and, you know, they just Very kind of flew over your head, but it's just like, yeah. you know, um, but coming back and having, you know, he's, Hitchcock's one of those directors who you just kind of revisit so much in your career uh, as a your career. Fuck, we're not getting paid to do this. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're, you're film watching life. I mean, one of us got paid to watch Hitchcock movies. I'm just saying, don't feel <laughs> one of us got yeah. paid. Well, congratulations. Yeah, but uh, I think, <laughs> um, but in our film watching lives, you know, we revisit Hitchcock so much. And even if we aren't watching watching Hitchcock films, if we're watching thrillers, we're revisiting a Hitchcock film because right, right. they all pull from the strain of him. And so when it comes to a film like Suspicion, which is light, which is breezy, and which is, you know, I have issues with the ending of it. Um, okay. I do. I do. Uh, and I think that it taints the rest of the film for me a little bit. Okay. But on the same hand, if this had any other person's name attached to it, and this is the the complex aspect of was having somebody like Alfred Hitchcock there. If this had anybody else's name attached to it, this would be a really great film. And this is a really great film, but when I sit here and I go, Suspicion is wonderful, but it's no shadow of a doubt, which is a film that's a comfort film for me. Like I can just slip mm-hmm. that on and just be like, oh, this is Here chicken soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is wonderful. Um, but I think that Suspicion, while I really enjoy it, if I'm going to reach for a film that has Cary Grant in as an Alfred Hitchcock film, it'll be North by Northwest. Um, sure. But I also find Joan Fontaine's performance, which I want to kind of focus on a little bit because I think she mm-hmm. is just wonderful here. And she's de- yeah. very deserving of her Oscar, for sure. I, I do think that, it, you know... It maybe should have gone to somebody else, but that's okay. Um, but she is wonderful here because she is so reserved. And I think that's why I, I celebrate her win so much because we don't really get to see reserved characters like her win uh, Oscars, you know, or be celebrated yeah. mm-hmm. all that much. She is she is a shell of a person. She is somebody who has been kind of, um, you know, we see her with her older parents and being like, Waiting for that moment, you can tell that she's spent her whole entire life waiting for the moment where she's supposed to blossom, you know, become right. a woman, become uh, desirable or somebody who, you know, needs to go off and get married and have kids and all this kind of stuff. And it's just not happened. Mm-hmm. And then Cary Grant comes along and he's the first boyfriend. He's the first lover. He's the first person that swept her off her feet. And it's hard to... It's hard for her to challenge his failures and foibles. And mm-hmm. you can really see that in her. You can really see that in her being like, I really like this guy. I like him a lot. I like the life that we're living. It's really good. I get the impression that he's just kind of doing this because that's what he thinks that I'm used to, but I'm just really happy to be in his company. Right. And she finds that really hard to challenge. Really, really hard to challenge. And I think that Joan Fontaine absolutely nails that perfectly. Right. And Cary Grant 
balances it perfectly too because he understands that too yeah so here's here's what i really love about her winning the oscar for this is that there is something in this performance that oscars almost never reward is that not only the subtlety of the performance but she is allowing her co-star to shine Oh yeah. If yeah. if you have any other actress in here, I think you have a, a little bit too much of a competition for the spotlight, right? And she knows exactly the type of role she's playing. She knows what Hitchcock wants. She knows that she is there to not just let Cary Grant shine, but in a lot of ways, she's there to react to the shitstorm that is Cary Grant's character. Like <laughs> she loves him, she cares about him, but she also knows like he is Oh, he is trouble and he is going to make my life like people make that joke when they see someone really beautiful. Right. They're like, oh, God, just come ruin my life. Right. Just come completely destroy my life and upend it and ruin it. That's Cary Grant. Right. He is. She knows that he is not a wonderful, caring man, but she also knows he's really attractive and he's really enjoyable to be around. And he doesn't care about um what he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to do and that's really alluring if you look at the way she was raised by those parents there's a very like well you do things a certain way and you act a certain way around your elders and you do this and you do that and i love the fact that their first kiss is spurred not by attraction not by love but by her parents going well ah you're never gonna get married anyway it's fine we've accepted it and she's like i'll show you so there's this little bit there's a little bit of Cary grant's character in joan fontaine right there's a little bit of that i want to stick it to him right not to the level that he does she still wants to live a relatively safe life and be happy but she's attracted she she's allured by that rebellious nature that he has. And I think I've tried, I can't remember for some reason the, the pet name that he uses for her. What does your family call you? Monkey face? Hello, monkey face. Hello. Hello, monkey face. Have there was monkey face. Oh, you haven't said the wrong thing, monkey face. Oh, poor monkey face. Monkey face? Monkey face. Well, how's my little monkey face? Oh, now, monkey face. Go to monkey face. Go on. Monkey face. Monkey face. Monkey face. Monkey face. Hello, monkey face. No, monkey face. I'm not angry. How about that monkey face? Oh, poor monkey face. May I have some more soap, monkey face? But it's it's a full-on insult. Um, Like, it's not a nice thing to call someone, and only Cary Grant could get away with this. Like, that is how charming that this man is, is that he insults her, and it becomes a pet name. And it goes throughout the rest of the film. It's not just one moment. Um, so I just, I love their interaction so much. I love, I love the kind of the, the way that we're unsure about his motives throughout the entire movie. There's this scene very early in the movie where he goes to touch her. And because we're in her perspective, we're like, oh, is he going to do something untoward? Is he going to push her off this cliff? Like what is going on here? And it ends up that moment. We think, I, I even don't know now as I look back on it, which is something I love about it. It's like, was that an innocent moment? Was he making the decision to, like, hurt her in that moment and then pull back? Or was it totally innocent? And we're just worried because of what happens later on in the movie. And But let's talk about the end, because you said the end kind of sullies the rest of the movie for you. So what is your issue with the ending of Suspicion? It, it feels like I, I like, you know, you're talking about the ambiguity, the the the, hmm? uh, the tension of unknowing, the, 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 the possible threat that 
resides within Cary Grant's character. And that is all there until that final moment, the, the last kind of one minute of this film, which I just mm-hmm. wish that... I wish that there was a little bit more ambiguity, but... Um, you know, there is a bit of history with this. I'm going to bear with me while I read a bit of a spiel from Wikipedia, but um, nonetheless, it kind of uh, embraces what the, the, the issue of I had with it. Um, this was supposed to be a study of a murderer seen through the eyes of the eventual victim. However, because Cary Grant was to be the killer and Joan Fontaine the person killed, the studio RKO decreed a different ending, which Hitchcock supplied and spent the rest of his life complaining about. Uh, like yada 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 let's continue on Uh, the biggest difference is the ending in Illy's novel uh, Johnny serves his sick wife a drink which she knows to be poison and there's a beautiful moment in the film where he is delivering this drink up to her which is this milk drink and it is luminescent it is fluoro it looks like it has come from a nuclear test site it looks dangerous (laughs) you know it looks intense um and she voluntarily gulps it down. In the film, the drink may or may not be poisoned, can be seen untouched the following morning. Another ending was considered but not used, in which Lena is writing a letter to her mother stating that she fears Johnny is going to poison her, at which point he walks in with the milk. She finishes the letter, seals and stamps the envelope, and asks Johnny to mail the letter, and then drinks the milk. The final shot should would have shown him leaving the house and dropping into the mailbox a letter which incriminates him. Good night, Lena. Um, and Hitchcock talks about this in his uh, interview with Francois Truffaut. Um, and the point is, is that Lena's letter tells her mother she knows that Johnny is killing her, but that she loves him too much to care. And that's kind of what I miss. Instead, what we're given is the possible threat of, um, you know, her getting pushed out of a car or getting driven off a cliff to make it look like she had killed him herself or something like that. Uh, and then it just kind of feels a little bit too neat, like we've got to protect Cary Grant's image. And mm. that, I feel, is a little bit disappointing because it neglects the story. It neglects the truth of the narrative. I mm. still love the film. It's still a great film, very, very entertaining. Um, but I want that moment that wraps up her narrative because, as you were saying, like... She allows him to be himself, to be large, to live in the screen and all this kind of stuff. But it almost, the narrative neglects her narrative in a way and the truth of the story, which is she is so enamored by him. She is so enamored by the the fact that somebody would love her and want to spend time with her. And I think that is a really painful thing. Like, as you're saying, this is a bit of a romp in a way, but there is a there is emotional truth to her character that I find really sad that she just mm-hmm. craves affection and craves a partner. And that's really quite sad. And, and the fact that she would still desire that to the point where she would allow him to kill her and be comfortable with it because she just loves him so much. That's devastating. That's, that's horrifying. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why it kind of, uh, I feel a little bit subdued here buy it mm. but i still love it it's still good you know don't get me See, wrong it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting hearing you talk about the ending because i i'd read that about like the ending that hitchcock wanted and yeah i probably think that's a better ending um but i'm not as sour on this ending as you are because all the things that you're talking about that you wanted to feel 
I still felt those things. I still um, felt even them. with this ending. I still felt them. It's just that one last minute, you know. No, yeah. no. Sorry, but I mean, yeah. even but even in that last moment, I still feel that because I think it's I think it's a difference between a movie with an ending that is stable, right? The ending with her dying and him incriminating himself is a ending, right? Mm. It wraps everything up kind of neatly, right? This is much more open ended. Um, and it's funny if you look at the, you know, the Wikipedia description of the ending, the last sentence was her suspicions allayed. Lena tells him that they will face the future together. And I think that's a dramatic misreading of the oh, yeah. movie. I, yeah. I don't think her suspicions are allayed at all. I think I think she knows that he is still not to be trusted, but she cannot bring herself to stand up and say it and leave or defend herself. And yeah. that is powerful to me. Like that is the. That's the whole essence of the movie. It's called suspicion. She is going to be uncomfortable and suspicious until the day she dies, whether she dies of old age in her husband's arms or he pushes her off a cliff or he fills her some, you know, weird milk concoction that kills her. She is going to be suspicious and uncomfortable the entirety of her life. And for a movie that is 99% romp, that is like a really gutsy, dramatic way to end a movie, and I love it. I love the ending of this movie. Um, that it that it plays both sides, right? It definitely wants to have its cake and eat it too, right? Mm. The way this movie ends. If you didn't know that Hitchcock didn't like the ending and you thought this is what he wanted, it does feel a little greedy. Like, oh, you want your fun, you want your romp, but you also want to leave the audience with this oh shit feeling. <laughs> but I think. I think whether he wanted that ending or not, I think he really accomplishes it. And that that's actually why this one sticks in my mind as my favorite is the ending. Is yeah. that kind of open-ended idea of like, do we know that he's lying? Nope. Do we know he's telling the truth? Nope. Do we think he's lying? Yeah, because there's a lot of things he's done that are really suspect. But he's so good at what he does and he's so charming that you still – it would be easy – if you have a lesser actors in these roles, it would be easy to be like, oh, my God, this stupid, stupid woman. Will you just leave? He clearly is cheating on you. He's not there for the right reasons, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think you ever feel that. No, I think you no. understand where she's coming from and you understand that he's not be not to be trusted. But you're also like, yeah, but girl, I kind of get it. Like, I, I'd probably do the same thing. Like, <laughs> look at him. I mean, yeah, look at him. It's Cary Grant. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, that scene where he's talking to the portrait of her father with her is one of the most charming moments I've ever seen on film. Like, I just, like, I love it so much. Even All the way down to, like, kind of the bumbling moment where the portrait falls off the wall and he has to catch it. Like, and he's great in it, but she is next level in that scene. Because mm. you, if you watch this again, like, look at her face. While he's talking, she is entranced by him. And that is not an easy thing to portray in a subtle way, but she manages to do it. Like she is just delighted by his little game. Right. Yeah. And she is so enamored with him. And it takes a really talented actress to do that without a lot of dialogue. He has all the dialogue in that sequence. And she's just like, guess her little lines here and there, but she's just watching him and her eyes are just like sparkling at this man that she has completely fallen for and you totally buy it. Right. Oh yeah. And very like, much even, so. Even, even the sequences where they're at the, like that, the little dinner party with the, you know, the mystery novelist and he's like kind of picking her brain, trying to figure it out. And oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, let's get back to the new book of yours. Yes, I love it. Now, look, you tell me the fellow comes into the room, locks it behind him and then sits down and strums at the piano. 
and then somebody shoots him through the locked door. Is that the idea? Well, it doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Why would he just lock the doors just to play the piano? Or is he ashamed of his playing? Uh, you see, I arranged it this way. A certain note on the piano was wired to a revolver concealed in the wall panelling. Then when the victim struck this note, well, there you are. Well, I don't care much for that. Oh. You're a slipping old girl. What's wrong with it, my dear chap? That's too complicated. If you're going to kill somebody, do it simply. Am I right, Dr. Sedbusk? You're right. Just as long as you don't get caught. Do the wine, will you, Phil? Yes, Izzy. How would you do it simply? Oh, I don't know, dear, but I'd, I'd use the most obvious method. The most important thing is that no one should suspect me. For instance? For instance, poison. Just use the first one that came to my mind. Say, uh, arsenic. Ah, arsenic. I remember in Gloucester, where we exhumed the body four years after, there was still enough poison even in the fingernails and the hair. Yes, but uh, did you get the murderer? He's still so charming that even though he is... It's so obvious what he's doing in that sequence that you're like, oh, yeah, he's definitely not to be trusted. And yet <laughs> you watch him and you're kind of like, yeah, it's OK. He can kill me. It's fine. Yeah. I'm entertained enough by, you know, people joke all the time online like, oh, you know, step on my neck. Like th this is Cary Grant in this movie. It's that guy, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's fine if you kill me, really. It's really OK. Just let us have a couple fun moments before I before you kill me. It's totally fine. Let's let's go. Like, it's yeah. just. Just like this movie, like it's one of those movies that even though like logically I know it is not the best Hitchcock movie, not the best Cary Grant movie, not the best Joan Fontaine movie. It certainly has its faults. And yet, much like Joan Fontaine in this movie, I forgive all of the faults. I'm just like, that's OK. I still but, I still love it. And I always will. But I think that, you know, Hitchcock is such an impeccable director that he does such a great job. And this was obviously a success. It cost, imagine, uh, imagine if this was your movie that had a bunch of faults. Like this is the movie you made that people are like, eh, it's not that yeah. great. Any other director, this would be like, oh my god, a fucking masterpiece. Well, that's what, what I'm saying. Like it's here. it's yeah. Hitchcock, and it's so it's easy to be like, oh. I want to talk about the supporting cast for a moment as well because I think that one of the characters, uh, you know. While obviously the the character of Johnny, played by Cary Grant, is so tied to the title of Suspicion, we are suspicious about him. There is something about the supporting character of Beaky, his best friend, Beaky. played by Nigel Bruce. I yeah, love Beaky. Beaky. Yeah, <laughs> who is so, like, in your face. And so kind of like, he looks 10 years older than Cary Grant, but, you know, the guy's the same age. Um, maybe the most just... honest character in the movie, by the way. Like, he's maybe. just very... <laughs> maybe, but he's also like... Yeah, this guy can't be trusted, but he's my friend, and that's part of the charm about him, that you can't trust him, and so therefore you just, you know, go along for the ride. I love this kind of character, because this is the kind of character that does kind of pop up again and again in Hitchcock's films. Uh, he does this kind of film quite a bit, and, you know, there are overlaps um, with Shadow of a Doubt in a lot of ways, as you were saying, the mystery writer and stuff like that. The, um, a that, much that, lesser movie, yes. <laughs> No, you. it's brilliant. <laughs> Not nominated for Best Picture, but it's brilliant. <laughs> for good reason. Thank you. Thank you, Academy. Well done. You got this one right. <laughs> I'll never be able to defend that film on here, but nonetheless. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's <laughs> Beaky is such a great character because he is so alive and so yes. kind of... But he's so atypical of what a Hitchcock... Uh, 
jester, I guess is the best way of putting it. He is a Hitchcock jester in a way. Uh, That's kind of what this Hitchcock jester is like. He's just so kind of, you know, mischievous. He likes to kind of poke things and be like, Just so vibrant. Yeah. It's it's hard not to smile along with him. Even when he's doing dumb shit, you're still like, Beaky, you're great. (laughs) Like, you totally get why... Why uh, Cary Grant's character would still hang around with this guy, who's clearly kind of a mess up and, you know, not on Cary Grant's level as far as like his place in society and all that stuff. And yet you're like, yeah, I'd keep that guy around, too. He's pretty entertaining. Even though he's even though he's dumb as fuck, because he's like, you know what? Let's celebrate. We're catching up. Good friends. I'm going to drink this drink. And then Johnny's like, no, you know what happens when you drink this drink? You get a heart attack and you, you might die. And so one of the things which I love about the narrative thread of this is that when he does die, obviously it's off screen, it's off in a different country, completely different country. And we don't know if Johnny did it or not. And we still don't know at the end. Like we're still told don't. that the police mm-hmm. have got it wrapped up. We know that and all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that there is so much doubt within Beaky as a character because he has no self-control. He has right, no right. He has no ability to be like, this is not good for my health. I probably shouldn't do that. Um, you know, right. he just, you know, double fists it. And yeah, it's, uh, it's insane. <laughs> and I think, I think that moment is actually kind of undersold and how important it is for Cary Grant's character. Cause it's the one thing really that he does in this movie that we're like, maybe he's a good guy. Yeah. Maybe he's trustworthy. He tells his friend not to do this. And then when he does, he still cares for him. And he, like, you know, essentially saves his life in that moment. So then we're like, okay, maybe maybe he is a good guy. Maybe he didn't kill this guy. Maybe he's okay. Because yeah. we do judge people on how they treat, you know, people who are of lower station to them, people who are their friends. We judge them on that. So we get to see him through Joan Fontaine's eyes and like, oh, He really cares about this guy. And the same thing when he realizes how important these fancy chairs are to her and he gets them back for her. There's all these like – because it's such a big character, I think sometimes you forget the kindnesses that he portrays in the film too. And when you look back on it, you're like, again – it's a reason why you don't look at Joan Fontaine's character and be like, what an idiot. Because there are three or four moments in this movie where you're like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy deep down. I get it. You know, and it's like just sprinkled in there just enough and it's not obviously done. It's actually like for a movie that's big and brash like this is, you know, it's Hitchcock. So it's still remarkably subtle, like some of the touches that are in there Mm. that like after you watch it, you kind of forget about. You forget about a lot of the stuff with Beaky. You just remember the kind of stuff between the two leads. And then you watch it again and you're like, oh, yeah, he's a good friend. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. So this is the stuff that really makes the film work and makes it complete, because if it's just like this untrustworthy, sexy guy um, and Joan Fontaine, then you're like, uh, I don't know if I can root for her because she's not seeing the obvious. But there's enough things to place kind of suspicion towards her suspicion. Right. The good parts of this that you're like, OK, I still kind of get it. I get yeah. why you would give him yet another chance. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a good film. It is. It's really fun. Um, you know, you mispronounce great. It's a great <laughs> film. It is. It's entertaining. Um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful kind of film. And, and I think, you know, I'm just trying to see, you know, I think that uh, Alfred Hitchcock had four Best Picture nominations in total. Uh, and obviously... Um, 
So what are the other two? This, this and Rebecca. Right? Yeah, this Rebecca, a foreign correspondent, and uh, oh, right. Spellbound as well. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, which I think was the last kind of film that was uh, of his that was really accepted by the Academy. Uh, you know, which is... and like it's amazing that none of those except Rebecca are ones that get mentioned. Yeah, in like the best films he ever made. Like if you put together a, I would say even a top ten, I would bet that those other three don't even crack it. They don't even crack it, crack his top ten. Uh, in terms of what people think of them now. So it's so interesting what gets rewarded, not just for winning, but just nominated. And again, remember, back then we had like 19 movies get nominated for Best Picture. So it's like, it's not like, oh, well, we're only going to do four. So then it's like, okay, maybe that didn't get nominated because that was just a stacked year or it wasn't as highly thought of as it should have been. But there's only four. But when there's like nine or ten nominees, 12 sometimes some years, it's like, really? How'd you miss? How'd you miss Psycho? Yep. How'd you miss <laughs> Rear Window? I mean, you know, uh, Vertigo I get because Vertigo was not highly thought of. Yeah, release, exactly. Right. But these other movies, like people loved right away. And it's like, really? That one didn't get nominated? Yep. Maybe it's too bloody, too violent uh, for the Academy. But even North you know, by Northwest this... and stuff. And they were nominated in other categories. It's, you know, that's that. Sure. That sure. But, but this, you know, this has violence to it, but it's yeah. all implied. Yeah. Right. Where something like Psycho is like, you know, for the time, pretty vicious stuff. Right. So a movie like this maybe is more palatable to Oscar voters. It's like, well, we don't ever even see anyone die. There's just like the threat of it and people talking about it at fancy dinner parties. So that's OK. We can we can nominate this one. It's a little safer. But this this kind of feels like I mean, certainly in this time, the 30s and 40s, there are there are those lighter films that got nominated, you know, Nanochka's mm-hmm. you're, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the one that was, um, the, that one. Yeah. Um, that narrows it down to us. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love no, that one. I'm trying to think, um, I'm looking at the list here and see, so this is it. The, the name has completely lost me, but there's one, um, love affair. That's it, which is such a redundant oh, yeah. name, but that particular film yes. is so yes. it's a nice film. <laughs> it's charming. It's sweet. And, you know, suspicion to me kind of feels like it's in that kind of strain of it. And, and same with foreign correspondent as well, which I really enjoyed. Um, sure. and it's in the same kind of easy watching comfort kind of film thing, which is really nice. And, and I guess uh, leading into the question of does this film matter or not, like, yeah, I think it does matter in a way because because it's that comfort level film. Because right. it's a highlighting, you know, we talk about how complex and difficult it is with Alfred Hitchcock's filmography to kind of narrow down, you know, your, your Desert Island Alfred Hitchcock films, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way of putting it, which is fucking hard. Sure. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> Uh, you know, if somebody if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you know, you need to take three Alfred Hitchcock films and that's it. Like five is too easy. Five is a little bit too yeah, easy. Yeah. But if it's three, it's like, what do I do? Yeah, and and, and it's really tough because like he's also one of those directors who reuses actors a lot. So do you, you know, like I think two of his best movies are Rear Window and Vertigo. But do I take two Jimmy Stewart no. movies, right? Like, or you pick one and then, uh then if I pick Vertigo, I don't get Grace Kelly. That sucks. Like it's, it's tough, right? And, and it's, you know, he's done comedies. He's done 
you know, straight up dramas, thrillers, and then he's done movies like this. And this is why this movie matters for me is that it's so nice. Like, especially as I've been going through and watching basically all of these nominated movies that I can, man, it is so pleasant to watch a movie that's just, it just, it's breezy and fun. And it's got a little bit of dark. It's it's got a kick to it. But it's just, yeah, and it just goes and it doesn't feel like work. Like some of these movies that I really, really like, like even even one of his other movies, like Rebecca. Rebecca is a very serious, dour movie in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And you just have to like, OK, I got to sit down and watch Rebecca. And I have never felt that way about Suspicion. Suspicion is one of those movies. And maybe this says something about me that I could just put on any time. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is fun. But, but I, the, this is great. All right. But do, do you get that feeling when you rewatch Vertigo? Because while I love Vertigo to bits, it's my second favorite film of all time. I literally have it tattooed on my body. You know, I have the poster on me. It's, it is a great, great film. And I love it when I watch it. But I know that it's like one of your favorite films is Sorka, which, you know, I've not seen yet because I <laughs> know that like it's work. Stuff. It's work. Yes, and yes. Vertigo feels like work sometimes. So it's interesting. I feel like the first half of Vertigo doesn't and the second half does. When it gets really dark, it feels like work. I actually feel like Rear Window is a better choice as far as like just a fun – if you're going to want to do a James Stewart Hitchcock movie that has some darkness to it, that one's a lot more fun. It's like a straight-up thriller. It's got like this gorgeous woman constantly there at his elbow. It's And if you're a a fan of cinematography and and film, it's got these great shots where you see the – you know, you see everything through the reflection of the binoculars. Like, there's just some really talented work going on there. And it is, even though it's dark, it still feels kind of breezy, right? And it's got a really interesting conceit where you have your lead character kind of emasculated and he can't move, he can't walk on his own, so he can't be the big tough guy, where you get a little bit of that in something like Vertigo. I mean, you start the movie with him hanging from a rooftop, like it's an action sequence to start the movie. So, I, But it does get very, not only dark, but like disturbing. Yeah. Like when I watch Vertigo, the last hour of that movie is wildly uncomfortable. Like it's just like... Oh, this is great, and, but and a also, lot of it comes I down to Bernard Henry's score as well, and it's just like, oh, oh yeah. my god, I I feel That's, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so wonderful to watch an Academy nominated movie that you know, and this is not to denigrate this movie in any way. Obviously, I really love it, but that just feels like really, really fun and really accesses everything good about Hitchcock without ever getting bogged down in quote unquote classic film territory. Like this doesn't, even though this probably would air on TCM, this doesn't feel like a classic movie where you're like, Oh, well, times were different back then. We really need to focus on this is how movies were made. Like there's none of that. Like, I think honestly you could show this to a modern audience. If you like updated this and recast it and it was in color, you could do the same exact plot and it would still be just as fun. Like, this feels very modern. That is one of the great things about Hitchcock, is his films all feel very modern. They were, like, way, way ahead of their time. So, But this one, fe- this is, for me, easily the most fun Hitchcock movie. Like, I could just put this on and enjoy my 99 minutes with it. Yeah, I think that looking at the list of this, the the lineup of the films that are here. I mean, there's a couple of films like I think here comes to here comes Mr. Jordan and One Foot in Heaven. I think both of them are in the Criterion Collection as well. I might be wrong about that. Heaven, it's very silly. It's enjoyable, but it's very silly. Yeah, it's... but there there is a 
there's a surprising kind of modernity to some of the films nominated here, as you're saying with Suspicion, with yeah. Citizen Kane, with How Green Was My Valley, um, th- that I find quite interesting, uh, quite a lot. Yeah, if there's a, a weird year, weird it is a weird year. year. Yeah, and I think you know, as a like, I don't, I don't know if you keep this in your mind when you're watching these films or not, but like I do, in the sense I'm like, it's 1941, the war's kind of kicking on, and they're they're probably expecting it to end, and all this kind of stuff, and yada yada yada, and so that kind of thing reflects in my mind a little bit when they're when we're looking at these kinds of films and deciding, you know, do they were the voters thinking of that or not? I don't know. I think about that sometimes. Um, one of the things which, as we lead into kind of wrapping up this discussion, one of the, I just want to grumble about the availability of some of these Hitchcock films, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a small platform for a moment, I can do that. But it's like, sure. he has so many films, right? So many films. And yet, in Australia at least, it seems like the same kind of 10, 11 films are available. Um, and that's it. And, like, Suspicion is mighty hard to find. Like, I can't rent it in Australia. I can't go out and buy the DVD of it. Um, I don't think that there is... When I was looking around for it, I don't think there is much of a DVD available on it. Fortunately enough, I have a DVD off it. But it's like... It just seems a little bit strange that for somebody who has such a deep catalogue of films, we tend to get mostly the kind of latter catalogue films from him available. Your Vertigo's, your North by Northwest, Psycho, yada, yada, yada. We know all those kinds of films. So I'm grateful that, like, uh, with... Uh, criterion that you know they have Rebecca they've got foreign correspondent they've got some of those films that um and notorious that was another one that came out pretty recently man who knew too much as well and and so and 39 steps too which is quite good but I'm just surprised (laughs) that but for somebody who is so you know so major in film history that um yeah his films aren't really that readily available it's it's also wild to me that, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with rights of individual sure, movies, yeah. but this just begs the question, like, if we have all these sets from Criterion, why do we not have, like, a giant Hitchcock set from yeah. Criterion? Just, like, you know, 25 movies deep, because, like, you could really create that without much problem as long as you can get the rights, right? They have all these, you know, they have an Agnes Varda set. They have, like, I mean, and that, you want to talk about money, that shit would sell like crazy. Oh yeah, like I mean, all the Bergman all the set fucking... went off the the, the shelves. Yeah, this exactly. would fly off. All there, the cinephiles yeah. would lose their minds. Like they wouldn't even wait for the sale. Like just like, <laughs> go buy it at full price, you know. And it's like, and I would love if they took some time and did that and created like a lot of extra features and there because there's so much material out there on Hitchcock, not necessarily from back then, but like you know, film scholars talking about it. There's so much stuff that could be done. But you're right, it's weird that. For someone who is so well thought of, and if you talk to people at Hitchcock, they think like, oh, there's just this amazing catalog, right? Pick any Hitchcock movie and you're, it's it's probably going to be at, at a minimum very good and mm-hmm. probably great. And yet the movies everyone always talks about are like the same five movies, right? These are the ones that get these re-releases and they're great, right? I'm glad Psycho gets a re-release. I'm glad Rear Window and Vertigo get all the publicity, but like there's so many other – like. I didn't know that he did comedy, and then I randomly someone recommended watch The Trouble with Harry, yeah, and I laughed ninety minutes. I was like, this guy is so like it's weird to say this, but like weirdly underrated in terms of genre, right? Because you think like, oh, he's the master of suspense, right? But he did everything so well, like truly a master of the form. 
sometimes a director gets a lot of publicity and you're like, eh, he's not that good. Like, he's good. He's great. But, like, he's not the end-all be-all. But, like, I don't know. You watch – if you watch Hitchcock and you're not wowed, like, I maybe you should try a different hobby. Because, like, <laughs> this, is, this might not be for you. Because Hitchcock is great. The only, the only defense I can ever hear of, like, I don't like Hitchcock is, like, I don't like in any way supporting people who treated women terribly yes. on set. Yeah. Okay. And that's totally valid. Sure. But from a from a film perspective, the man is the best there ever was. Especially talking about like American films, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so there you go. Suspicion. It matters. It's important. Uh, you should watch it and seek it out. Even though five uh, stars, it's yeah. great. <laughs> the best. It's the best movie ever. Go watch it. If you look at my letterbox, I, uh, you'll notice I gave it three stars. But you know that it's a generous three. I I, I should actually raise that up. I also gave Citizen Kane four stars, and um, you know, you like this more. You can you clearly like this more than Citizen Kane. I do actually. Yeah, I I would put this on again in an instant. Not that I wouldn't rewatch Citizen Kane. It just. I it's guess work. sometimes I, it's work. Yeah, and sometimes with these bigger films, you feel like you're already immersed in them so much. Like I haven't rewatched Psycho in maybe 15, 16 years. I need to rewatch yeah, it. And for this month, I didn't rewatch uh, Citizen Kane because like, I don't know, I watched it a year ago and I've watched it a bunch and I'm like, yeah, I know. Not like I know everything to. that there is to know about but, it, but, but we're I know so immersed in it. it it's, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. Yeah, this is the Marvel Cinema of the 1940s. Like, it's just... Oh, jeez. What's not... over it? What are we doing next Pump month? break, what are, Andrew. What are we doing next? <laughs> What's the uh, film that next? Month, next month, we're watching a movie that I've never seen. Yeah, um, so that's exciting. Mrs. Miniver, um, a, a William Wyler movie, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, excited a, about that. Uh, are we doing a, a supplementary episode or not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you? I mean, the, a lot of these movies, frankly, I've boring. Heard of. <laughs> well, I mean, it's weird. Like Yankee Doodle Dandy is also nominated, and that's a movie that's on like AFI's top okay. list. Like they make, so we can do that if you want. Maybe we'll do that. We're not going to do Magnificent Ambersons because people have talked about that enough. Um, yes. So maybe we'll Great. do Yankee Doodle Dandy. That sounds in- interesting. Um, there's a lot of Yankee talk in the 1942 uh, nominees. There's also the Pride of the Yankees yeah, as well. But that one's about baseball. That's different. That's, oh, that's a different baseball thing. Jesus. So. Play a real That sport. one I can't wait to watch. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, folks. Don't uh, be sad because there's no Australian rules football movies because it sucks. So sorry. It's not cinematic, so we can't have Have that. you ever watched a round of Australian rules football? Oh, why would I? There's no movies about it. Not interesting. Fuck. When they make a movie about it, when they make a Moneyball that's about Australian rules football, then I'll watch a match. Yeah, there's one. There's one. It's called The Club. I'll I'll send it to you. You you should watch it. But seriously, okay. all right. Here's your homework, people. For <laughs> this is. <laughs> if you're listening this far, we will wrap up in a second. Go and watch Suspicion, and then once you finish watching Suspicion, uh, I'm going to stick a link in the show notes um, for a uh, explanation on AFL. Uh, and I, I want all of you Americans to go and watch this and, and watch and a round of AFL. Nope. <laughs> it is, nope. it is nope. the best, uh, sport in the world. Um, follow Dave at, at where can they follow you, Dave? And, uh, and ask questions about Twitter. football. <laughs> uh, follow, 
Follow me on Twitter at DarnThatDave. There you can see all my writing and all my podcasts. There are many uh, that you can take uh, take a listen to. So if you don't get enough of this from uh, this show, you can listen to Offscreen Death and your list, my command. And yeah, uh, criticize me at um, Awards Don't Pod uh, and, and say, what the fuck is this talk about AFL? I thought I was listening to Alfred Hitchcock. Um, you can do that there. You can also listen to previous <laughs> episodes at thecurb.com.au. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will see you on the next episode to listen to talk about Mrs. Miniver. Movie Suspicion. You won an Academy Award for it. It's a super film, and we, we pulled a clip so we could... Uh, share it with people who are who are watching you were how old in this film i was 23 i think 22 or 23. i think i'll take the shortcut amuses me because that film had two endings a happy mm-hmm. one and a sad one where he really was a killer and they took it out to, uh, to preview it and the audience didn't like Harry Grant as a villain so they had to use the happy ending which is just about what you're beginning to see there it is a it's a classic do you how do you feel when you watch it I don't watch it, really. I mean, did yeah. I, how did I feel just yeah. now when I saw that yeah. clip? Well, I wish I hadn't worn that silly hat. <laughs> but I know why, because the hair was blowing in the wind, and it had to be done. And I noticed that Hitchcock got that hat off as soon as possible when I got out of the car. <laughs> it seems to me and to a lot of people that the times when you were making suspicion, when you were making Letter from an Unknown Woman, there was something about the stars then. There was more mystique. There was more glamour. There was more personality. It seems nowadays they're sort of interchangeable parts there there is not that much vitality i think well, more than that i don't think i think this is a knockdown drag down age they don't want you to be special really and i think the press attacks and i think um, one does not dare go around uh, with any kind of style any longer because it is um, envied love this podcast support it and sponsor today Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox bringing us closer in Cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed Cox terms apply other restrictions may apply